Back with the Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number one 888 990 If you haven't checked it out yet, mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll give you some details on that in just a little while. Uh, same goes for injurycalculator.ca. But first, we always get to the show and get it rolling with the uh, the week that was. James, Savannah, let's, uh, let's roll, guys. Who's first? I'll do it first, All John. Right. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about a case that... Um uh, came uh, to us this week. This one came from Ottawa. It's a long-term disability case. Uh, this individual has been on LTD since April of 2016. Uh, after an appeal, they cut him off uh, July 20th, 2017, and he was paid until August 2017. Uh, this person suffers from back, uh, knee, and neck pain, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, blood clots, uh, th- there's some indication of brain damage, etc. He's getting about $2,600 a month. And he received a letter from uh, the insurance company uh, essentially cutting him off on the basis of an evaluation that was conducted by the insurance company's psychiatrist. Now, here's the interesting thing. They call it an independent evaluation, right? Not the word really. independent, exactly, not really. And this happens quite frequently in these kinds of cases where the insurance company sends you to their own doctors for an evaluation. They call that independent, quote-unquote. Anyways, this psychiatrist, surprise, surprise, said that he can actually go back to work uh, despite what the family doctor is saying, the therapist, and all the other specialists that are dealing with this person. Uh, this individual is 49 years old. Uh, he, he, his job is a clerk. He's an assessment officer making about $50,000 a year. And guess... Uh, uh, Get this, John. He's receiving CPP disability. Okay, this is very, very important. Now, uh, he was cut off on the basis of what the psychiatrist is saying. Right. By the way, this gentleman is also unionized, so he came to us, and of course, you know, we reviewed the uh, uh, the, the denial letter and the psychiatrist's uh, report, and you know, as usual, we found a lot of inaccuracies and inconsistencies and mistakes in the evaluation prepared by this independent doctor that was hired by the insurance company. And, you know, how do we rebut that? Well, we immediately uh, make sure to provide this assessment to our own clients' doctors to get their comments. Uh, And oftentimes that, in my opinion, is sufficient to rebut the position of the insurance company. But you know what? We are going to go even further than that with this individual. We're probably going to end up getting our own psychiatrist to review everything. Uh, Not just a psychiatrist, by the way. This gentleman is suffering, obviously, from other types of ailments physical type of ailment. So maybe we'll need a physiatrist. So again, we're going to make sure that we prepare a full case here to bring the insurance company to the table once we start a legal claim against them. And you know, this is a lesson for a lot of people out there. When you're facing a denial or a cutoff by an insurance company, don't appeal these decisions. This is what happened with this gentleman here. He appealed that decision and that was a clear mistake. Why? Because the majority of these appeals fail. Remember, when you're appealing an LTD denial or uh, an LTD cutoff of benefits, the power remains in the hands of the insurance company. You're essentially asking them to reconsider their decision. Why would they reconsider their decision? You know, in in the vast majority of instances, they will not. And what's going to happen is you're going to end up in the same position you were when you first were cut off or denied. So don't take that detour. Call us, email us, let us review the documentation, uh, you know, such as the denial letter, the medical reports, etc. Let us give you an honest opinion. And by the way, that's going to happen within literally a few minutes of us talking to you. Uh, it doesn't take more than that. And we'll give you your options. At that point, you can decide how you want to proceed. We're not going to pressure you to do anything. But, you know, don't go the appeal route.
Savan, let me pick up on something that you were talking about there, about the independent medical examination. And, you know, certainly when you were discussing um, this email, you emphasized the word independent. And, you know, obviously what you were getting at is that they are not really independent. So just because it's labeled that way, don't believe it. But let's go into a little bit more detail about why it's not. Um, these doctors, and I'm not, I'm not trying to malign the medical profession or even the doctors that are hired by insurance companies, but what you have to understand is it's not as though the insurance company will get your case and send it to a random doctor on a roster of a thousand doctors asking them for their opinion. No, they have doctors that they use on a regular basis, and sometimes it's a very small list, and these doctors will get hundreds and hundreds of these medical examinations, these so-called independent medical examinations. And a big portion of that doctor's income is going to be coming from this insurance company. And even if the doctor has the best intentions, even if, you know, they really want to call it like it is, at some point it's pretty hard to remove the fact that a big part of your income is dependent on pleasing this one insurer. And let's say you have a doctor who really is going to play it by the book, who isn't going to be swayed by the money. Well, guess what? The insurance company isn't going to keep them around very yeah. long. So the ones that stay there are the ones that wind up giving the insurance companies the opinions that they want. And that's why, you know, they can call it whatever they want to. They can call it independent. They can call it fair and balanced. <laughs> they can do whatever they want, but it doesn't make it so, all right? This is someone who is paid by the insurance company, and if they don't get the opinions they want, they go find someone else. They're not pulling a guy off the street. Hey, come here. We need you for a moment. No. You're a doctor, right? We'll take a, a short break. I'm going to turn over to you when we come back, James. one 888 is the number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Just getting warmed up. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 888 the number, mydisabilityquestions.com. You want to have a look at that website, fightformyltd.com as well. We'll get to both those in more detail and as well the injury calculator. But continuing on with the, uh, the week that was, James, well, what's going on with you? Well, one of the themes that we have on this show on a regular basis um, is people who will write to us and ask us what they should do when their insurance company tells them that they are going to be cut off. Not that they are cut off, but they're going to be cut off at some point in the future. So on that note, uh, I have a lady who contacted me in October. She had been informed by her insurance company back in August that they were going to cut her off, but they hadn't yet. They had told her that they were going to cut her off at the two-year mark um, after they'd started disability. It's called the change of definition, which was going to happen in November. So a month and a half into the future. I looked at her case, and it seemed like it was going to be quite a good case. So I, you know, she signed a retainer. I ordered the file from the insurance company. I got it within a couple of weeks. Before she was even cut off, I issue a claim, and the insurance company gets back to me, and we schedule a mediation. The mediation happened just last week, four months to the day that she came to see me and we got it resolved. She was off benefits for a total of what would be one and a half months, not even one and a half months because she came to us early. She didn't waste her time with the appeal process. She came to me to get advice. I was able to help her. It took a total of four months. Now, I'm not going to promise you if you're listening to this and you come see me, that's going to be four months. That's quick. That is on the quick side. But 
The sooner you come to see me, the quicker we can get it resolved. We move very quick compared to the rest of the legal field, particularly when it comes to disability matters. And where we are able to get the insurance company to agree to a mediation, which is far more often than not, we can get things resolved very quickly. And if you come to us right away, the amount of time that you're off benefits is going to be very minimal. And the key thing here is not wasting your time with the appeal. The appeal is going to drag it out and you're going to be off benefits for a longer period of time. Simple as that. What do you think, Savet? This is a phenomenal example, you know, and it just hammers the point uh, and makes the point that we've been making every week on this show, uh, which is that, you know, we speak to a lot of people who call us because they hear us on the radio. um, And, you know, a lot of them are represented by other lawyers, and some of those lawyers are very competent. uh, But, you know, nothing bothers me more uh, than a person calling me and telling me, you know, I've had my case with my lawyer. I was cut off disability almost two years ago. I don't know what's going on. Nothing's happening. No money's coming in. And, you know, I have to prod them and figure out if a claim was even issued because unless a claim is issued, a legal claim is issued, the insurance company has no obligation to do anything. That's how you force them to the table. And that's why you need to move on these things so quickly. Remember also, once we issue that legal claim, internally within the insurance company, your file now gets transferred to another adjuster, an adjuster whose purpose it is to try and resolve your claim. And a defense lawyer who also works on that file, again, whose job it is to resolve your claim. Now, sometimes they'll have a different viewpoint than we do, but the point is we have to get the process starting. It's that urgency that many lawyers don't understand, don't get, or don't care about. And the problem is a lot of people out there who are literally in, in financial, uh, uh, you know, facing a financial catastrophe, some of them having to, to sell their homes and, you know, stop all the activities that their children are going to, you know, their, their fates, their financial fates are in the hands of these lawyers who are not moving these cases as urgently as they should. So very, very important to understand if you're out there, you're in that situation, give us a call, email us. Get in touch with us. Let us give you your options, and then you decide how you want to proceed. But that's a phenomenal example, a great result. And by the way, James said that not every case can be resolved in four months. You know what? I've had cases that are resolved in less than that. I've had situations where I intervened before the person was cut off, and within a matter of weeks, the adjuster decided to reverse position, and the person was not even cut off. So again, every case is different. Every case uh, uh, fact scenario is different, which is why, you know, when we talk with you, we want to see all the necessary documentation, the relevant documentation, and we will specifically give you the options that are relevant to your case. Let's get to the uh, the entry calculator I mentioned a couple times. Give me some details on it. All right. That's a great online tool. We've, we've had it now uh, um, uh, out there for a few years. It's been used literally by tens of thousands of people. And what is it? It's a database of cases from across Canada uh, that are in this little program, a free program that you can go on to. If you've been injured through no fault of your own, through a car accident or a slip and fall, you know, you broke a bone or you hurt your back, you suffered a concussion, you want to know, is it worth it for you to start a legal claim? You want to know what kind of pain and suffering damages? What is the monetary amount that you could potentially be looking at to recover under the law for your pain and suffering? You can go to injurycalculator.ca. You input a few key pieces of information. Again, it's anonymous. And then that uh, online tool will scan through a database of cases from across the country and give you a range, a range of uh, damages, a range of money that you could potentially be looking at for your pain and suffering if you start a legal claim. Now, remember, it's only for your pain and suffering. Okay, very, very important. You can have other types of damages like income loss, housekeeping expenses, rehabilitation expenses, etc., And remember, every case 
again, is fact-specific, which is why when you get that result at the end, literally take you about 15, 20 seconds to do, when you get that result at the end, if you're curious about your case in terms of the other damages you're entitled to or you want to talk specifically about the fact scenario in your situation, just click the submit button. We get the submission. We get in touch with you and talk with you specifically about your case. And this is all free. Okay. You're not paying a dime for this. Injurycalculator.ca is what it is. Once again, email help the insurance lawyer.ca. We'll bounce over to an email after a short break and one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. It's the insurance and injury law show. Global News Radio six forty Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. It is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Got an email from Brenda. Uh, James Savannah, one of you guys can take this one. Brenda says my husband was on long term disability for over four years. And then he was offered a lump sum settlement, one year's worth, which he rejected. He's only 49, and he was injured in a car accident where his right hip was crushed. After he rejected the lump sum offer, the adjuster got mad, and he was cut off four months later because he didn't think he was disabled anymore. His doctors can't understand why the insurer is saying that. He can't work because of his injury. He's been in construction since he was 19. This is a really good example of what we talk about on the show all the time about the mandate that insurance adjusters have in order to try and make their boss profits, their employer profits. Um, they have to cut you off. They have to cut off as many people as possible and get in as many benefit, as many premiums as they can. And the way they do that is they look at all of the claims on a rotating basis and see where they have an opportunity. And so at some point, the adjuster who is assigned to Brenda's husband's file goes through his cabinet and he finds this file where they have this guy who's been receiving benefits for the better part of 30 years and he's got another 16 years. He's 49 years old. Um, If his policy is what everyone else's is and goes till age 65, he's got another 16 years of benefits and the adjuster knows that there's likely no real scenario where they can legitimately argue that he's, you know, he's able to go back to work. So what does he do? He tries to get him off by making him a low ball Mm -hmm. offer. And Brenda's husband rightly rejects the offer because why should he? He's paid for these uh, benefits by paying the premiums and he's entitled to it. So why should he have to, you know, why should he have to accept something that's less than the value of what it's worth? And so the adjuster says, okay, well, I'm going to cut him off. Worst case scenario is that he challenges it and then I have to pay something. But the best case scenario is he doesn't challenge it at all. And the worst case scenario is not worse than what his worst case scenario is now anyway. So go for it. So they're just playing a game. They're playing a game and it's just based on numbers. If they cut off as many people as they can, a huge huge portion of those aren't going to challenge that decision. And even those that do, and even if if they have to wind up paying more than they would have had to, um, had they just paid the benefits, they still come out way ahead. So what do you do? You contact us and we start a legal claim. That's what you do. That's how you deal with them. It's the only way you're going to be able to effectively deal with them. That's most, Yeah, most people challenge are going to challenge on their own or they're going to go through the appeals process and more waste of time. Sure. Right? They're, uh, listen, the insurance company here is already showing you their cards. Just saying, yeah. we don't want to pay you anymore. Yeah, We've been done. paying you for too long and we don't want to pay you for another 16 years. Well, if you don't, if they don't want to do it, you got to force them to do it. Simple as that. No, I, I agree completely. And, you know, something that jumped out of me in that email is the fact that uh, Brenda's husband was on LTD for four years. Oh. Remember, we always talk about that two-year mark, right? You've been on LTD for the first two years. The test to qualify for that is can you do your own job? Beyond the two-year mark, it's can you do any job for which you're suited for? 
clearly he's met that more onerous test. So four years later for the adjuster to come back and now say, you're no longer disabled, listen, can it happen? Sure, Mm -hmm. but in the context of what's happened here and the fact that he was offered that lump sum and then he rejected it, you know, you know that something is going on here. And, you know, the message is this. Don't be intimidated by these insurance companies. Don't think you have no rights, right? No one is above the law. That's the reality. And these insurance companies understand and know that. And again, Bone James and I, both of us worked as insurance defense lawyers in the past. We've defended insurance companies. I can tell you that insurance companies are not in the business of fighting these claims. They're not interested. They will if they have to, but they're much more interested in trying to get a resolution done. The problem is, is that if you are trying to challenge them yourself, you don't have the tools, you don't have the know-how, the expertise, you just simply don't. And so that's why we're telling you, give us a call, email us. You're not paying anything for, for, you know, for us to talk to you, to give you your options, so why wouldn't you do that? You know, and if you know someone in that position, again, it may not be you, but it may be someone you know, a colleague, a friend, a family member. Think about them, contact us on their behalf or ask them to contact us. Give them that information, arm them with that information. If they don't challenge the insurance company, if they walk away, all they're doing is leaving a bag full of money that belongs to them and their families at the insurance company's office. And plus, once you guys get started, no more phone calls come their way, so the hassle stop, right? That's right. That's something that is very important to outline, yeah, and to emphasize. Once we get involved, the insurance company, the adjuster, they're dealing with us. They're no longer dealing with you. They cannot communicate with you. They're simply not allowed. So just imagine just the relief that you're going to feel, that your family's going to feel when you know that we stand between you and the insurance company. And not only do we stand in between you two, but we actually now push back and we take the fight to, to you know, to their side as, as, as opposed to them, you know, uh, victimizing you again. one 9646 That is the number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of your questions and emails coming up after a short break. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number help the insurance lawyer You want to find out what the uh, pain and suffering component of your claim should be? Really simple, called injurycalculator.ca. Go through it. Takes about thirty seconds. There is also a contact button at the bottom. You can get a hold of Savannah James or another member of the firm. If not, you'll walk away uh, anonymous and have the knowledge moving forward. So LTD case, what happens? I know you get lots of phone calls about this, guys. I'll throw this to either one or both of you. Um, denies a claim based on a pre-existing condition. That scares a lot of people. It does, it does. And, and you know, this does happen quite a lot. So in the LTD context, remember that a long-term disability relationship between an insured and an insurance company is governed by the policy, the LTD policy. That's the contract. So when we have someone coming to us and says, I've been denied or cut off, well, probably denied uh, for LTD, because of a pre-existing condition, we want to see the policy. We want to see the provision that the insurance company relies on to deny that person their LTD uh, uh, payments. And, you know, we've had situations where insurance companies seize on some kind of a pre-existing condition, but that's not the reason for the disability. You know, we have a case right now at the office where we have a person who has a manual labor job, and he developed uh, these really bad sores on his feet, and he actually had an amputation of one of the feet, and he wasn't able, obviously, to work afterwards. Now, the insurance company denied the claim because they said that he had diabetes uh, before you know he, he, he got onto the LTD plan, and so that was a pre-existing condition that was excluded. Well, it's not that he can't work because of his diabetes. He can't work because he has an amputated foot. 
Now, remember, sometimes we're dealing with, you know, the types of cases and pre-existing conditions and provisions that require you know, almost, almost an academic legal analysis. But this is exactly why, if you are in that situation, you've been denied an LTD claim, don't assume that the insurance company is correct. Don't assume that just because they throw the LTD policy in your face and tell you, oh, because section so-and-so says that you are excluded or your condition is excluded, therefore, you're not entitled to LTD. Let us review the policy. Let us review the medical documentation, the facts of the case, and we will tell you what your options are. We will tell you if the insurance company is correct or not in denying your claim. In the vast majority of cases, I can tell you, John, we found the ways around the insurance company's denial. We brought them to the table through the legal claims process, and they settled. They paid our clients what our clients deserved under the law. The example you just gave, I mean, I certainly agree with your analysis and your conclusion uh, that the pre-existing diabetes is not a pre-existing condition because of what he ultimately went off for because of the amputation. But at least there's an argument there. At least there's some argument that the insurance company can rely on. They're wrong, but there's an argument. Yeah, because amputation can be common with diabetes, sure. But that's that's yeah. not even the worst. I, I mean, you know, insurance. Every insurance policy is different. There are some parts of it that are pretty much standard throughout, but the pre-existing exclusion is something that changes widely from policy to policy, and that's why we really need to take a look at your specific policy. Right. Because even if you're, you know, you, even if we were to look at. Um, insurer X, and we were to take a look at 10 policies, those 10 policies are going to be different. And one of the ways that they're going to be different specifically is going to be for this pre-existing exclusion clause. And so the adjusters that are dealing with, you know, 400 different claims, they're going to have some of them that have pre-existing clause A, and some have pre-existing right. clause B, and some with no pre-existing clause at all. And you better believe that there are times where they just take a look at it and say, oh, well, I I bet you this is just pre-existing clause A, but it's not. There's no pre-existing clause or it's a different clause. So we really need to take a look at specifically what is in the policy and exactly the reason why your doctors, your doctors, not what their doctors are saying, what your doctors are saying is the reason for your disability. Exactly. I could not have said it better, except that I will add one more thing. Sometimes sometimes we have ambiguities in these uh, uh, provisions, right? Sometimes you're looking at the provision and we are saying that this is how it needs to be interpreted under the law. And the insurance company says this is how it needs to be interpreted. So you have different reasonable interpretations. Well, guess what? There is a principle in law uh, called contra preferentum. And it's a Latin term. Okay, it's the last time I'm going to uh, uh, you know, spew Latin on the show today. But there is a Latin term uh, that essentially says this. It says that to the extent that there is an ambiguity in a provision in an insurance policy, the courts will interpret that provision against the insurance company. Again, there are reasons for why that is the case, but that's that's the point. So oftentimes, even if it's not completely clear what that section in the policy means, whoever drafted it, you know, if they meant it this way or that way, the point is that as long as there is an ambiguity and we have an argument on our end on behalf of the insured individual, ultimately we will likely succeed. So again, even if it's uh, if it's if it's one of those provisions that's obscure, there are different interpretations most likely we're going to be able to get the insurance company to come to the table to pay this individual the money that he or she is owed. Because it can't be balanced in the other way because of that little piece of Latin you threw out there. That's right. right because yeah. of, Exactly. Because of this principle of law, if there wow. is an ambiguity in that, in that huh. policy, a reasonable ambiguity, yep. you can't just come up with something you know, out of thin air and, and there's nothing to it. But to the extent that you can interpret that provision in two or more reasonable ways, 
it's going to get interpreted by a court against the insurance wow. company, and no insurance lawyer will argue against this point. one 9646 help at We'll get right back to one of your emails on the Insurance and Injury Law Show after a break. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca is email. Uh, Don writes in, says my wife had a knee replacement a year ago after she fell on a wet floor at a mall. She walks with a cane now. The insurance company for the mall says uh, she's uh, had some pre-existing degenerative changes and would have needed the surgery anyway. But my wife's orthopedic surgeon says that's not true and that there was no need for the knee replacement before the fall. Can we do anything about this? There you go. Absolutely. Um, there is... Uh, what doctors are going to tell you, and you know, certainly I'm not a doctor, Svan's not a doctor, John, pretty sure you're not a doctor. No. So if any doctor wants to disagree with me, that's fine. But what most doctors have told me in the context of my legal career is that once you pass a certain age, usually it's around your mid-40s, you're going to have degenerative changes um, in your uh, skeletal system if you take a look on an x-ray. That's just going to show up. That does not mean that you are suffering in pain. That does not mean that you have limitations. It just means x-rays are going to show essentially that you've gotten older. That's really all that it is. But if you're not feeling pain, it's asymptomatic. That's just the word that they use. It means you don't have symptoms. Simple as that. So what we're talking about here, Don, is a situation where, you know, your wife had these asymptomatic degenerative changes. On an x-ray, if you were to take a look at it, it would show that there was degeneration, uh, degeneration in your wife's uh, musculoskeletal system. Doesn't always mean pain. Doesn't mean that she was in pain. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that she had limitations. Um, and what I have found in my legal career is that um, doctors have certainly told me on many occasions that it does not take a lot once you have these degenerative changes to basically flip a switch so that it be, it, what was asymptomatic, what was something that was not bothering you, wasn't causing limitations. When you have something happen to you, and it can be much more minor um, than falling on a wet floor, that can be a pretty traumatic event. It can be something just as simple as twisting a knee. Um, that can flip it from asymptomatic to symptomatic, and then your the rest the the course of your entire life changes from that point onwards. And so, yes, there is certainly something that you can do. All you have to be able to show is that the event we're talking about, in this case, your wife falling on the mat, caused her to become symptomatic. The fact that she had these degenerative changes before does not mean that she's going to be shut out in any way. And I know this. I had a trial about this very this very issue last year, and the insurance company refused to pay because they said my client had pre-existing degenerative changes and he was going to need surgery anyway, and we disagreed, and the jury found that, in fact, we were right. They agreed with our doctor who said that, yes, he had these pre-existing degenerative changes, even had osteoarthritis before, but it was asymptomatic. And in, in my client's case, it was a fairly minor car accident, um, what you might call a fender bender. Right. And that triggered the knee pain, which led to two surgeries. And that's what the jury heard, and they accepted that. And so, yes, there's certainly something that we can do in your wife's case, Don. Uh, the, the only thing that I would add here is that when, when I used to do defense work for insurance companies, one of the things we would do off the bat when I got the file is I would have a law clerk go through uh, the plaintiff's medical documents and literally list all of the pre-existing issues that the person was suffering yeah. from, whether it's diabetes or hypertension, you know, whatever, other injuries the person has had. And as a defense lawyer, my job would be to try and, and muddy the water, right? Muddy the picture and, and sort of show that this individual was not healthy before the accident. And, you know, it's not that much different after the accident. 
and the most effective uh, plaintiff lawyers that I was up against were able to really show that despite the fact that this individual had all these issues before, they were functioning in a certain way. They were able to work. They were able to do things around the home. They were able to have you know fun outside, dancing, doing whatever. And after the accident, as James pointed out, you know you have that switch that happened, and it just the picture changes. And unless you have the right lawyer, the right legal team that is able to do that, you're going to be in a position where the insurance company is going to get their way. And what does that mean? It means that instead of getting a high settlement, you're going to get a lower settlement. That's really what the insurance company is aiming for. So, you know, for people out there, if you're in that situation, don't worry if you've had other issues, other accidents. You know, we're going to tell you, we're going to, we're going to be asking you questions about your health before the accident and your health after the accident. And we'll be able to give you an idea when we talk to you without even looking at all the medical documents, how the pre-existing conditions are going to affect your claim. But people out there are under the, uh, you know, the, the, the assumption that they have an assumption that because they suffered from something in the past or they had a car accident in the right. past, you know, that means that now they have no claim for compensation. And that's just not the case. We are looking specifically at the injuries you suffered from this accident, what medical documents prove that, and how your life has changed and your functionality has changed. Once we have that information, we present that to the insurance company with all of the doctors that, you know, we go to. And we get the money that you are owed under the law. It's just that simple. But again, you have to make sure you call us so that we can have that discussion. What do you think, James? Another thing that uh, this really raises is the difference between a diagnosis and symptoms. And a lot of lawyers uh, fall victim to this. Um, they get caught up in what's the diagnosis. Tell me what the diagnosis is. Well, if you read what the Supreme Court of Canada has said, the diagnosis really doesn't matter. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it actually doesn't matter. If you can put a label on it and you can support that, yes, it does have some effect. But at the end of the day, if you can't, it doesn't mean that you're not entitled to recover something. What matters are your symptoms. That is the thing that matters. As long as you can prove that you are suffering in the way that you say you are, whether you can label it with a specific diagnosis or not, you are entitled to recover. If there is no issue about your credibility and you are suffering from whatever symptoms you say that you are and you can back that up, then you're entitled to recover something for it as long as it's caused by somebody else. Um, and so, you know, w when we're looking at a case like this, um, you know, you have this pre-existing degenerative changes. Well, that's a nice label on it. But the pain that comes after it is really what we're talking about. And that pain did not exist before. That pain is the symptom, and that's what you're entitled to recover. one 990 is the number. It is injurycalculator.ca to find out your pain and suffering amount, what it should be. Very simple to use. That is just the beginning, though there could be more after that, so use that phone number. And email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, which is where we are going to head right after a short break. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number. Keep it with you. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Leslie writes in, says I was in a car accident about a year ago. I was a passenger and suffered a few fractures and torn ligaments. I had two surgeries. I want to try to go back to work, but I'm not sure if that'll hurt my legal case. I don't know if I'll be able to work, but I want to try. I spoke with two lawyers who said I should not because if I go back even part time, I'll get less money from the insurance company. Is that true? What should I do? All right, let's make this very clear right now. If you're talking to a lawyer who is telling you that even though you feel like you can go back to work and your doctors say that you can go back to work, 
but you shouldn't because it's going to have an effect on your lawsuit. You need to find another you lawyer. Run. <laughs> you, you, yeah, just turn around and go find another lawyer. Right. Um, you know, you have to live your life and you have to do what's best for you. Your lawsuit should not dictate how you run your life. Now that you know, you can't be foolish. Um, what you do will have an impact on your lawsuit. I'm not telling you that if you go back to work, it won't have an impact on your lawsuit. But let's take a look at what happens. If you are, you know, in the middle of a legal claim and you are not working and your doctor says, okay, you know what, you can go back to work if you feel like you're ready for it and you feel ready for it and you go back to work and you're successful. Well, guess what? You get to keep 100% of what you earn. You don't have to pay, nice. you don't have to pay your lawyer any fees for whatever you're making from that point on. That's better for you. Simple as that. That is better for you. And if you try and go back to work and you're not able to do it, you haven't recovered as well as you'd like, whatever the case may be, you're just not able to get through the day. Well, at the very least, then the defense, the insurance company can't turn around and say, oh, well, you haven't tried. You're malingering. They can't put that label on you because it's right there. You've attempted to return to work and you simply weren't able to do it. You tried to mitigate. Exactly. No. So if you are talking to someone who says, oh, you shouldn't try going back to work because that's going to hurt your lawsuit, that's just wrong. That's wrong on many levels. It's unethical. Um, and you know you have to live your life to do what's best for you. You know you leave the legal part of it to your lawyer, but you have to live your life for your, you know your own best interest. So that means you have to focus on your own recovery. And when you're ready to go back to work, you go back to work as long as your doctor right. says it's okay. When I have a client ask me, you know, can I go back to work? I say, don't ask me. Yep. It's not up to me to tell you what to do. Ask your doctor. If your doctor says it's okay with him then or her, then it's okay with me. Let me know. I need to know what's going on so I can do the best that I can with your lawsuit. But if you decide that you want to go back to work and your doctor says it's okay, it's okay with me. And the only thing that I would add here is that insurance companies know which lawyers are ethical and which lawyers right. are truthful. And if you are going to a lawyer who's telling you not to go back to work, even though you can and your doctor cleared you to go back to work, I can tell you that there is a high likelihood that the insurance company knows of that lawyer and that just by going and being represented with that lawyer or potentially that law firm, your case could potentially be tainted because insurance companies are not dumb. That's what they do. They're in this industry and they gauge lawyers and law firms and they know when they have somebody serious on the other side. So you also have to be very, very careful in terms of who you end up having represent you because that can affect your entire case no matter how legitimate your claim and your injuries are. And that's that's a good question to follow up with. How do you how do you protect yourself? How do you find the good lawyers like your firm or, or otherwise? How do you protect yourself? Well, clearly we're going to be biased and we're going to say call us, well, yeah, okay? Obviously. Because I mean, we, we we talk about this stuff every week. But you know, to the extent that you are looking, uh, you know, for a lawyer, and and this applies by the way, not just to personal injury and disability, mm -hmm. it applies to family law and other kinds of law. I think really you're looking for three things. Number one, you're looking for a lawyer that's going to tell you to be truthful, no matter what you do, whether it's a real estate transaction, you know, a family law, custody battle, a disability case, you want to make sure that the lawyer is not telling you to lie. That's number one. Number two, you're looking for someone who has empathy, okay? Someone who is going to be listening to you, who's not going to treat you just like another number, because you know what? The reality is that you're not just another number. Your family is not just another number. And, you know, when I was working for insurance companies, I came across a lot of lawyers that it was clear to me that they knew nothing about their clients, their clients' families, you know, what happened to their clients, the tragedies in their lives. And that's really, really important. You want to make sure that whichever lawyer or law firm represents you, uh, that they really understand your specific circumstances, because that's going to have an impact on the eventual settlement uh, of, of your case. 
The last uh, thing that I will say is you want to make sure that whichever lawyer or law firm you go to, that they're accessible. You should never be in a situation where you're asking questions and you're getting no answers, that you have no idea what's happening with your case, you know, that, you know, you're going to a mediation or, or having a settlement and you have no clue how that settlement was arrived at or what those numbers represent. So you want to make sure that you are able to reach your lawyers whenever you need to, the legal staff. Those three things, being truthful, empathy, and accessibility, those Very are, cool. in my mind, the foundational uh, uh, parts of, of looking for, for a good lawyer. Two more things I would add to your list. Number one, uh, or I guess number four, if I'm continuing your list, That's right. uh, would be experience. Um, you don't want to go with someone who doesn't know what That's they're true. doing. That's true. Uh, and the other thing is uh, resources. Um, you can have an experienced lawyer that has empathy and everything else on the list. But if they don't have the resources um, to fund your legal claim and they're going to start asking you to pay for all of the reports that you need and if you don't have the money to do it, you're going to be in a very difficult position. That's just the reality of law in Ontario. You need to have resources to fund it. And at Sanfiro Tamarkin, we fund our litigation. If you come to us and we start a legal claim, we're not asking you uh, to pay us money for our fees. And we're not asking you for money for any of our expenses, including getting the medical legal reports that are the foundation of the claims. So none of that happens. The last thing I want to say to this question, how do you find a good lawyer? Well, what I will say is what not to do. Um, I wouldn't do it just based on who you see on the back of a bus or, right. you know, perhaps in the bathroom at the Air Canada Centre or places like that. one 9646 is the number. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And to find out what the pain and suffering component of a claim should be your uh, claim, possibly, that's easy as well, injurycalculator.ca. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.